We are honored to have here with us Maximo Torero, Assistant Director General for Economic and Social Development Department at FAO, to present the report's key findings. Maximo, we look forward to the remarks. So, thank you very much to, to IFPRI and to all of you for being here, for hosting the launch of the SOFI. Uh, this year, uh, as always, SOFI has two parts. Uh, the first part looks at the key indicators which estimate the evidence towards ending hunger and ensuring access to food, the SDG Target 2.1, and also looks at the SDG Target 2.2. Uh, this is the first time that, that we look at the SDG Target 2.2. But the second part, uh, which is more on detailed analysis, is trying to look at the effects of uh, downturns and slowdowns over hunger and malnutrition, and especially over hunger and undernourishment. Uh, and, and that part, I think, is really timely, given what we are observing in terms of slowdowns uh, lately, in terms of the reduction in, in growth rate. So, so let, me, let me go into the report. I will try to go a little bit more in detail that, than the video, because the video has already told you all the numbers, but let me try to, to go uh, into what we're trying to do. So the first thing is to try to, to look at the pathways from food insecurity to malnutrition. There are two typical pathways, one which is more evident, which when you have insufficient intake of calories and, and proteins, uh, which is this part here, the yellow arrow, uh, which normally will end into child stunting and wasting. And the second one, which is more difficult to, to figure out, is the one that is because of inexpensive, high-calorie food and super-processed food, which is the one that could end into overweight and obesity, and which is also linked because of anxiety and stress and disorder patterns. So if you are, very, you are a, born, a, a, child, a children born with, with child stunting, for example, that could create an increasing probability that you could become uh, overweight and obese. So what we are trying to do in this report is trying to bring both of them uh, together because both of them are capturing the indicator of hunger, which is what we are trying to, to, to measure across this report. Now, what are the, the, key, the key results? So after decades, uh, essentially, of a reduction in the trend of both the prevalence uh, and the number of undernourished people, the typical POU indicator that, that we measure, now we are observing that this is reverting. Uh, and it has started to revert in the previous years, since 2015, and now we are staying basically in the same level of prevalence. It's 11%, around 11%, and in 121 uh, million people that are suffering undernourishment. So these are really, really sad news. Uh, and although the prevalence is practically unchanged, it continues to rise in many continents. Uh, the situation is almost alarming in Africa, where hunger is slowing but is steadily on the rise in almost all sub-regions, making Africa the region with the highest prevalence in 20 percent. It's also rising in Latin America, and I will show you why. Uh, and this also, although the prevalence is still in 7 percent, but we are observing one country which has significant rise, which is the case of Venezuela. Uh, and in Asia, the prevalence has been slow decreasing in around 11 percent, but there is one exception, which is Western Asia where we are observing uh, that to start to, to change into 12%, which is also worrisome uh, to look at. If we look at the number uh, and the number of, of, of people hungry in the world, uh, we are in 820 billion, million people, uh, of which Asia has 513.9, Africa 256.1, Latin America 42.5, uh, and then the, the other countries. But the trend, again, brings us this enormous challenge, uh, what it was mentioned before, uh, which should be in zero, <laughs> and which should be in, in a decline, and that's not happening at all, and that's what, what worry. So the numbers are, of course, not perfect. They have many caveats and many concerns, which the report tries to detail. 
This is the thickest report ever in the case of the SOFI, and the reason is because we went very in detail in methodologies and trying to put all the caveats because we want transparency and we want people to understand what we are doing. Uh, and that is helpful. We are also trying to make the data public for first time. But you must understand for, for us, uh, to make one country data public, we need to get clearances from the countries uh, because we use official data. So, so we need to get clearances from them. But we were able, even in the case of the data that we collect, which I will show later, we were able to get most of the countries agree to, to publish the data, which will be very helpful to, to keep improving. Now, what is happening uh, behind? And, and these are graphs that show a little bit of the explanations. Uh, first, undernourishment increases sharply in countries affected by conflict in sub-Saharan Africa. And here you can see the difference between uh, the POU, which is the undernourishment indicator on conflict countries, with respect to the ones which are not in conflict. And you will see that the, the, the trend is higher, or the slope is higher in the case of the conflict countries. And the same happens in the case of the numbers. We also see an, an increase in the trend because of, of, of the conflict. So conflict, which was one of the topics of the previous office, is one of the, of the clear reasons of, of why of the increase of this number. When we start looking at droughts linked to climate change, again, we observe that in countries in, that we have a drought, that are drought sensitive, the, the, the trend is also higher, like in this case, the POU, and the same in the case uh, of, of the number of undernourished. So conflict and uh, climate change issues uh, makes it very important, and this also linked to some of the work that the Global Hunger Index did before in terms of conflict, which showed that conflict areas was one of the causes or the drivers behind this. This is the case of, of Venezuela. This is uh, the first time we can really update the numbers for Venezuela. Uh, the change is huge. Uh, and it's so important because this is even using official data. Okay? So we were able to send missions to Venezuela to be able to control quality and get the official data and redo the whole estimation of the POU. And that's basically one of the drivers. And this is very consistent to what we are observing with the private uh, surveys that are being done in Venezuela. Uh, funded by some institutions. So, so again, it's showing something uh, pretty, pretty important uh, to look at uh, uh, around and, and to see how situations like the ones facing there could create uh, significant changes in the numbers. Now, one of the new things that we bring uh, in this SOFI is what we call the FIES, the, the Food Insecurity Experience Scale, uh, which is based uh, on a scale that is global comparable. This is the same as when you do the poverty, extreme poverty numbers in the case of the bank, that you have to have a global scale. And I just wanted to show you the methodology because it's not easy, and it took us a lot of time to do this infographics to explain people how we calculate that. But essentially, the little, so I want to exploit it, but, but essentially, uh, this one tries to summarize uh, the situation where we have for each country the indicator and the scale, and then we create a global reference scale, and then we are able to rank them by severe, moderate, and, and, and food access or, or no problem. No? Uh, clearly, the, the, it's a two-step procedure. We calculate the medians. And then we make the reference global reference scale. We look at benchmarks, and that we can compare all the countries, keeping the specificity of each of the countries, which is what we want. Now, what is the, the beauty of this is that this is another indicator coming from a private survey, in some cases with country data, but mostly with Gallup data that we collect in, mo in several countries, and allow us to have, have another indicator that shows two things, the severe scale and the moderate scale. Uh, and why is this so important? When we look at the severe food insecurity scale, Basically, what we are trying to do is that to measure something very similar to what we were measuring in the nourishment. And in this case, we are observing that we have 704 million people in severe situations. The orange is showing the moderate food insecurity scale, which is basically people experiencing moderate food insecurity, which face uncertainty about the ability to obtain food and have been forced to compromise on the quality 
annual quantity of the food they consume. And that is a new element. Adding, adding both of them, we are in the 2 billion people, which is the number that we are talking. Why is a new element? Because it's bringing another concept that is part of the SDG indicator, of the zero hunger SDG indicator, which is looking at the quality of the food I am eating. And normally, when we are under stress, we will sacrifice quality, buy cheap food, which could create problems of overweight and obesity, which is what we are trying to, to, to assess uh, on this indicator. And what we are observing is that when we look at, at, at the moderate scale, is that it is a problem that not only affects uh, low-income countries and middle-income countries, but also is affecting high-income countries, and the rate in the case of North America is 8%. So, so we have a significant uh, effect that is important to look at, and this is something new that this report is trying, trying to bring. So now we not only look at the severe, but we are also able to present uh, the moderate scale, which is looking at other forms of, of malnutrition uh, behind those. Now, when we look at the levels of food insecurity, it has been in the rise as in the global level, as I mentioned, but it has been in the rise in almost all regions using the fees scale. The dark red bar here is the severity, the orange is the, the moderate scale. And basically, we have a significant increase in the African side, which is the bars that you're observing here, but also an increase in Asia. And in Latin America, it has been an increase in 2017, and then a little slowdown in the severity scale. When we look at how it evolves in terms of the distribution of food insecurity by severity, it differs greatly across regions in the world. Uh, and, and we can show this very clearly in terms of the graphs. And also the same when we look uh, at the prevalence of food insecurity as it looks in, in, in different levels of income countries. As you can see in low-income countries, the severe, the red, is a lot bigger relative to the total population to in the case of lower middle-income countries and upper middle-income countries. So again, what this is telling us is that we have an important uh, situation that we need to look uh, carefully. Now, the numbers between, and this is a sum of comparing both the, the extreme poverty line, the number of undernourished, uh, the number of people in extreme poverty, and the number of uh, severely uh, food insecure people, and trying to see how comparable they are. The, the sum, what is telling you in the top part, is basically that the global number 821 and 704 are moving the same, in the same direction over time, which is, makes us consistency between severe and undernourishment, the POU. In, in the case of the extreme poverty line, we saw a decline until 2015. And after that, we don't see, uh, uh, we don't have more data, of course. And some of the questions that normally people are asking, okay, why? we are shifting the trend in the case of the POU relative to, to the poverty line. And we have been looking carefully into the, into the different differences between POU uh, and poverty, and there are several explanations. The more basic one, if you look at the projections that the World Bank does in terms of, of extreme poverty uh, in sub-Saharan Africa is increasing, and also in Asia, which is consistent to what we are observing in our decompositions. But also it's important to know that there is a difference between extreme poverty and we, what we measure. In the extreme poverty, which is the one $9 a day uh, line, you can have a range between 26 to 79% of the share of food in the basket that you're measuring. So there are a lot of differences that we can explore, and we are writing a technical paper on this to try to explain uh, the differences behind, but doesn't seem to us uh, to be at, at all inconsistent uh, at this point. This is basically showing the evolution and the progress in child stunting, uh, low birth weight, one of the first indicators that we're uh, publishing for the first time, the exclusive breastfeeding, uh, also low birth weight, sorry, is the first indicator, the stunting, which is reducing, but not the space we need to, to reduce, but the problem of overweight, uh, which is basically increasing, and anemia, which was surprising to see an increase, a substantial increase in anemia, and of course, the increasing 
in obesity that we are observing uh, today. Which this tells us is that we are not going to get to our targets, which are in the gray bars, if we don't do an effort to try uh, to improve on that. The overweight prevalence uh, increases over the life course and is the highest in adulthood. Uh, the preschool children, 40 million. School-age children, 131 million. Adolescents, 207 million. And adults, 2 billion. Uh, if we look at the evolution of obesity and undernourishment, by 2016, uh, obesity has surpassed uh, undernourishment, which is something uh, really important to look at and something that, that shows a significant concern. Even more, if we look at the, the difference between uh, the prevalence of obesity between 2000 and 2016, it's even larger than that of overweight. So the rate of growth is bigger. So that's, again, alarming as in the video, as he was telling in the video. And that's one of the biggest calls that this report is trying to do, to look carefully at what policies we can implement. And we did an assessment, a meta-analysis, of all the potential policies that, that have been looked at, uh, looking at availability of food, fiscal and price policies, and information, education, and marketing. And the information and educational marketing has been, I think, the ones that has been most evaluated. Uh, for example, there is the latest uh, one is the one of the Congress of Chile, which changed the labeling in, in the food to identify super processed food. Uh, and that ha has a paper that just came out uh, looking at the impact evaluation of, of the reform that they did, which is being replicated in all Latin American countries. Uh, again, the results are not as superb as they were expecting, but they show significant patterns of change despite uh, the short term. But again, it's important to look at all these policies and to assess what works and what doesn't work before jumping into them. Because sometimes some of the policies could vary their effects across countries, and, and that's where we need to be a little bit more, more careful. Now, the second part, uh, and I will be brief because I'm already over, and Rayul is looking at me with bad eyes, uh, <laughs> is the one of the, of the slowdowns and the upturns. Uh, I think this is very timely, and the idea of, of bringing this up is basically to show how much there is a relationship or an association between the slowdowns and downturns and what we are observing in terms of, of hunger and undernourishment. So essentially, uh, hunger has increased in many countries where the economy has a slowdown or contracted, uh, especially during the period 2011 to 17, which is the period of analysis. Out of 77 countries that experienced a rise in hunger, 65 countries saw their economy slowing or contracting. 44 out of the 65 countries are middle-income countries. Only 19 out of 65 are low-income countries. 32 out of these 65 countries are in Africa and several are in Asia, and followed by Latin America and the Caribbean. Not only that, when we try to look at the different drivers and the different shocks, what we observe is that conflicts basically, sorry, slowdowns and downturns expand the effect that we observe because of climate change and also because of, 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 conflict, of conflict shocks. So, for example, in 2018, 33 uh, food crisis countries, uh, the economic shocks worsen them uh, and make them more difficult. So, again, it's something to look very carefully. And when we start to look at the important export dependency, what, what do we find? And this was a very complex analysis because, again, we need to be very careful as much as we could with econometrics and do all these complicated things to instrumentalize uh, the relationships. But what we found is uh, when, we, when the countries were commodity export dependent, a 1% increase in the level of commodity export dependence will increase 2.2% the level of undernourishment. When we look at import dependence, it increased 3.8%. But especially when we look at food import dependence, uh, only food import dependence, it was 8%. So a significant impact relative to fuel import dependence. And also we observe, observe that the commodity booms didn't have, it had a positive effect in reducing undernourishment, but it was a very small effect in, in reducing undernourishment. Now, the other element which is really linked to this is income inequality. 
and income inequality is rising in, in, in nearly half of the countries of the world, including in several low-income countries and some middle-income countries. And inequality is not only income, but again, the rise of income inequality doesn't allow us to have a sustainable solution to the problem of hunger and the nourishment and, and, and malnutrition. What we need to look also is at other types of inequality, and here, just as an example, the access to land in Africa, which is abundant, but again, the Gini index here is pretty high in terms of access to land in many of the countries, which again undermines the possibility of having a sustainable change and a sustainable improvement in terms of, of food security and nutrition. So let me just uh, conclude in saying that ending hunger in all its forms uh, of malnutrition by 2030 require a scale-up and a bolder action. Clearly, we are very far from it, and the challenge we were trying to put in the, in the UN meetings in the HPLF, the high-level panel that we were in, in New York, was let's try to change next year the trend. So let's go back to the decreasing. That, that's what we need. Uh, we need to change it again to what it was. Despite that, I don't know and I don't think we could be able to achieve the 2030 goals, but let's hope. It's something that we need to do. Uh, and, and zero hunger is what we need, uh, especially when we are affecting children and, 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 and the poorest in the world. So economic resilience must be strengthened uh, to safeguard food security and nutrition against economic diversity. So in the short term, clearly we need to put safety net measures. Uh, countries need to protect the incomes of the poorest. And we need to have mechanisms to assure resilience uh, for the climate shocks and finding ways to get some resilience for conflict, although we should reduce conflict. But that's something out of control of, of, of the countries. So, so we need to find a way to, to resolve that. And in the long term, we need to invest in, in reducing economic vulnerabilities and inequalities, build capacities to withstand shocks through country cyclical policies, which we know in Latin America has worked pretty well, especially when you are export dependent. We can save for the bad periods and do country cyclical policies, and also maintain health and other social expenditures and the use of policy tools to create healthier food environments. So let me just finish by saying that uh, when we were doing the video, this idea of, of the broken food, broken food system, I, I think it's important because what the food system is delivering today is not what we were expecting. So it's something that we need to find a way to resolve it if we want to accomplish the, the SDG goals. Thank you very much.